Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on, and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring, please join us for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are absolutely free, or hire us for your next office or corporate event. Just visit pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Are you ready? From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our Oh, yeah, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, markers, and thieves, welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is David Yaz. Well, that's what the announcer guy says at the beginning of the show, so I guess you already knew that. Anyway, if you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Give us a like, give us a review, give us some kind of love. Please know it's much appreciated. I've got an author. Ooh, I feel so distinguished. I'm talking to an author today. Someone who actually had the gumption and time and patience and discipline to write a book. Unlike me, I've been working on a book for 20 years. So far, I've got the title. But this is not about me. This is about Michael Patrick Lewis, the author of The Vulnerable... That's hard to say. The Vulnerable Career Switcher, Michael. Thank you. Dave, it's great to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Now, in full disclosure, you and I have met in the pod universe once before. Yes. You were a guest on the show that I co-host with uh, my friend Michael Miltwolf, Past Tens, which is a music podcast. And uh, you were awesome on that show. And I said, uh, let's be doubly awesome and be on this show, too. (laughs) But this time, let's just let's we're talking about music that day. Let's talk about the book, The Vulnerable Career Switcher. And what's cool about this book is not only does it contemplate a topic that I think most or not all of us have met at some point in our lives when it's like, right. I, don't, I, just, I don't like what I'm doing. What can I do about it? But also, I love the writer that veers down detours and funny little asides and little parentheses and things. So anyways, I haven't read it yet, but I've read parts of it. And tell, let's, yeah, I guess let's start at the beginning. What, well, tell us the, the career switcher. There are, there are tons of books on switching careers and career satisfaction. Sure. The vulnerable word kind of sticks out here. Also, it's in italics. I'm holding the book up like our listeners can see. They can't. Yes. Um, but, but anyway, tell me about that. So the title was intended to say there's, a, there's an inner voice that we all have that we sometimes try to project a an imposing personality, a, a, an undefeated look and feel to our, our exterior personas. And the book was intended to say, we all have an inner voice. If your inner voice is telling you that you have doubts or you're, you're not sure if you're going the right direction and or even if you've made the career switch, if you're really up to the task, these are all okay things. This is, uh, we all have imposter syndrome to some degree and uh, the vulnerability of actually believing in our own capabilities and strengths is a big part of the, uh, the story mm. and a big part of, I think, anybody's trials as they're figuring out whether or not to career switch or whether to double down on their existing career or any other kind of worthy 
endeavor that uh, requires effort. Yeah, and I, I think you've noted something there that, that is inevitably true, and that is that one of the big hindrances of people switching careers, you tell me if you agree, is that they want to do a thing and they think they can't do it. And so it's like, well, right. I can't, well, I can't do that. Well, I don't have the experience exactly. for that. I'm not trained for that. Or conversely, like, see, I come from the world of law and I, I used to be the publisher of Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly. And for whatever reason, people thought they could ask me career advice because I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They thought I knew about all the jobs in town or whatever. Anyway, but the, the, the common theme was always people would say, I really love to teach or I really love to write. Sure. But, but here I am. I'm a partner at a corporate law firm and I make a decent salary and yes. and I can't give that up and blah, blah, blah. It, it, is that a theme that runs through the book? Like the, just the, the, stagnant, the stagnancy? Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I, I made the switch when I was age 32 and about 20 years ago. And when you're th like a lot of people at age 32 have, have probably gotten started collecting kids and dogs as uh, Professor Galloway would say, and, and, and maybe married, going mm -hmm. down a path where they are probably six to eight years into their job. Isn't it and funny so how, you, yeah, isn't it funny how we thought, right? sorry to interrupt you, Michael, isn't it yeah. funny how we thought, when you and I are the same age, yeah. we thought we were kind of old at 32. We thought we were like, <laughs> yeah. oh, look at all this stuff. Look at this house. Oh, look gosh, at these yes. kids. I'm yes. a real grown up now. Ugh. If, right. we, if we only knew. <laughs> and, and yeah, if you, we only knew exactly, yeah, but yeah. but the thing is, you do think you are old, and you have to you know kind of stay the course, if you will. And so that's the other thing is like I'm I'm going down a path of being an accountant, and I'm it's funny you're in law or you were in law. I was, yeah. I was in tax law. Like mm. that was really what I was doing most of the time. I I started out doing individual tax return work for uh, very wealthy people and famous people actually. In the early 90s, and by the late 90s, I had graduated to more corporate tax law. Are you allowed to even tell though us? Even I didn't have you, a law degree. Are you allowed to tell us who any of the famous people are? Somebody on Cheers, I'll say that much. <laughs> and somebody who's, mm. very, some, somebody who's very well known in politics today. And somebody who Yeah, was, that doesn't uh, help at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. But if I said any more, I'd be giving it away. And that's, I know. Uh, that's a little bit of a breach. It would be but, ironic if it was Norm, because he was a, he was an accountant on the show himself. <laughs> it looking, wasn't Norm. Looking for it was, it was oh, a supporting right. actor okay. who at the time was making 45 grand a show. Okay, but a and, lot, uh, 22 yeah. shows a year or whatever, or, or more yeah, back exactly. then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think Ted Danson was around half a million a show. So that if that gives you a little bit of scale, then right. you could start doing some process of elimination. Well, that's probably not Norm. That's probably not Cliff. So Pre you go into some of the secondary characters. Pre-coach or post-coach? That's okay. Post-coach. I, post post yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. No, listen. I used to be a serious professional that understood confidentiality and privilege, and I don't want to breach that. Anyway, oh, but that must, so that must have been the exciting part of that job, and yet yes. not enough for you. Not enough for me. And again, I, because the, the money in accounting and, and tax work, anyway, was more in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. That's where you wanted to go to to be more successful or get bigger bonuses and all that. Mm -hmm. So going back to the age thirty two, like we're going down a path where you know I'm, I'm beginning to I'm, I'm making probably three times as much as I did in my entry level jobs. So that's the trap that a lot of people fall in when they are in a career, even if they don't love it. They're like, I can't give up this money. Mm -hmm. So how am I going to go switch careers because they're probably going to want me to start at uh, you know level one again or entry level. 
Right. And I got, I got at, by age 32, I had a mortgage and I had uh, one child and, mm-hmm. uh, and a wife who wanted, we wanted to have my wife stay home with the kid to raise the child for the first few years. Mm-hmm. So, Tell us about some of the twists and turns that you detail. And I mean, in the book, do you go into like uh, if you're a lawyer and you want to be a record producer, here's how you might do that. Do you give that, that, right. that sort of or, or at least where you get started? I think that's where people, you know, yes. just give up. Right. Right. Well, I think part of the, the other thing was that what the path that I was going down was a path that felt like. I was following the rules, so to speak. Like I was I basically at kind of age 14, 15, 16. I'm in high school. I actually went to St. John's Prep in Denver. I know you're in Westwood, I believe. So you might know Zavarian, which was one of our rival high schools. I know St. John's but, Prep. Uh, I have some good buddies yeah. who went to St. John's Prep. This is something yeah. you should never do on a podcast, start to ask people if they know people. <laughs> but you might have known my friend uh, Jeffrey Miller from St. John's Prep. Or I know Jeff Miller. Did, if he's class of 86. Yeah, that's him. I, I know him. Yep. Oh, he's, yep. My, he's my good friend. He's completely nuts, but he's my dear friend. And uh, <laughs> did, Dave, did David Lurie go? Does that Absolutely. name ring a bell? Well, yeah, we call Dave Lurie is somebody I'm trying to kind of re-engage over the last few years, but haven't succeeded. But there's a crew of us St. John's Prep grads in New York City area. Mm-hmm. And we're on like a list of like eight or nine email addresses. And Lurie's on there, but I can't get him to to kind of... Those are both summer camp friends of mine. Lurie, we good used people. to... Good people. Very good people in, in, yeah. in different weird... They're both weird in their own lovable way. We used to yeah. call Lurie the beak. Because of the the huge the huge nose, of course. yeah, and so and he was he was famous for not knowing the words to any songs and also for owning a pair of drumsticks which he liked to play with even though he didn't play the drums. That was the beak. <laughs> By the way, here's a teaser for your listeners. Not that Michael isn't captivating because he is, but um, coming up a little later. We're going to delve into a chapter in the book that I just find fun. And it is kind of an aside, Michael, you'll explain, but it's Michael's hate tape. And by hate yes. tape, that is a tape that he constructed to torture the ears of whoever <laughs> might be listening or perhaps riding around the car with him. And so <laughs> what we're talking about is basically the most annoying songs of the 80s, first and foremost. So, so stay tuned. We're going to go down that list a little bit and have fun. And I'll tell Michael whether it truly belongs on the hate tape or not. Uh, yeah, spoiler alert, most of them definitely do. So that's, this is when we're going to lose our listeners in the podcast when I start playing uh, a song by Banana Rama or somebody. Anyway. Oh, no, uh, these are going to bring them back. These I'm, are going to bring them back to say, right. oh, it's nostalgia. Right, yes. right. I'm sorry. We left off at St. John's Prep. So there yeah, you were so in Danvers. The, the St. John's was, was, it's called St. John's Preparatory School, right? And it did prepare me for a lot of good things. But I think I followed a, a little bit of the, the playbook, right? Which is, hey, Michael, you're good in math and science, so you should be engineering or accounting, right? And so you go down these paths, and then you think like you're doing all the right things, you're following the rules, and then you realize at age 32, you're not really happy with what you're doing with the majority of your waking hours, which is yeah. work, right? Either commuting to work or going to work or thinking about work. And so going back to your question, which is how do you start thinking about making the switch? It's, it's a variety of things. It's, it's talking to people. It's uh, and for me, I even needed the awareness that I could change. Like, like you're, nobody's telling you, Michael, anymore, what to do. You're, you're a grown up now. So you're not, your parents are not, don't, don't think in the context of making your parents proud or making other people proud. It's more like, what do you want to do? What's your calling? Right. And so, of course, I didn't know what my calling was. So I had to do a lot of talking and self-educating about what else is out there. And fortunately, I was going to business school at night in New York City at NYU. 
And so I was able to take a variety of courses. I was meeting all these other students and all these different occupations mm -hmm. and, and taking some really interesting casework, classwork that really helped me kind of think about what other things people actually do. And so that was the beginning of the search, but it did over time take, you know, a few years to actually get to the, to that career switch that I wanted to fulfill. So if people, do you, do you tell people that you can do almost everything you want to do or, or are there certain things you have to rule out right off the top? Like, for example, again, if you're one, yeah. of, one of these jobs, like you and I used to have, you're, you're a lawyer, you're a, you're a CPA, but you love the, you love, you're a wine enthusiast, Right. Right. You, right. I would love to make that my career. That's not me, but I'm just saying sure. like, yeah. I, I could see Same. somebody saying yep. that, or I, I love art and I'd like to be exactly. an art dealer or whatever. So, right. So are those dreams worth pursuing? Yeah. I look at it as the, the, the fun thing that I think younger kid, anybody with teens as kids. And I think you have at least one, I, I do. don't know I... if he's ever wanted to get a tattoo, but you know, I've always <laughs> said, told my kids who wanted to get tattoos. Like if you want a tattoo, put something in your room for, and if it stays there for a year, like on the walls, <laughs> yeah. then maybe you can get the tattoo, but you got to think about the long haul, right? Good advice. And so, and so that's what I think about like art or a career switch or something like that. If you want to be an artist and you're right now in tax law, start doing it on the side and just figuring mm -hmm. out if that's actually something that you will actually spend and invest time in. Because if it's something you keep saying, oh, I don't really have the time, I would question if you're really actually interested in being an artist. Another way to go about it is, is there a, in between, between what you do now and the world you want to be in? And you might say, well, I'm a financial advisor that has nothing to do with art. Well, actually, right. actually it sure can. I mean, just you, you, yes. you want to join every organization you could think of having to do with art, start to make, meet people that are the bigwigs. Maybe they become your clients as a financial advisor and exactly. that's, you get a couple of those clients, all of a sudden, a lot more about the world of art and you yeah. know, they'll sort of accept you into that world. I, I used they to be, accept you in the world, maybe they even barter with you in terms of giving you some free lessons or some, you know, you some tips and tricks, all of that. Yeah. I used to be a financial advisor at Bernstein and there was a tale told of a, a financial advisor in New York and Bernstein who had, had a passion for boxing. Uh, the problem was the guy was like in his fifties and, but he discovered <laughs> there was this world of, uh, like adult amateur boxing where people will train uh -huh. you. And so he kind of got into that and, and I, like, I don't know if he was good or not, but the point was he wanted to be in that world. He actually started to meet this little cadre of people who were professionals in New York who just really wanted to box. And these were some right. we wealthy people. He actually built up a, a book of business on the financial side through How boxing. Is that? Isn't that interesting? Yes. And so then, yeah. then he does that for a couple of years and then he could, you know, open his own boxing ring or whatever the, whatever you do with gym. I don't These know. are the transition <laughs> right. steps, right? Like yeah. those are the steps that uh, can help you get to that next level. For me, it was going to B school and actually showing the world that I wasn't just limited to accounting skills mm -hmm. and just be it. Cause I was going to be a international marketing and international business major at NYU. And so like now I've got a, some certification to say to the world, I'm not just an accountant. I don't have to just be an accountant, but now you actually get somebody who knows financial skills, mm -hmm. but can do other things too. Mm -hmm. So is there anything in this book that will surprise people? We talked about how there are tons of books out there about career advice, but, yeah. but why should people pick this up and what might kind of be like, Hey, Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think there's there's two key surprises. One is the vulnerable piece again, which right. is 
there's a lot of career management books out there that almost come from the point of view of the professor. And I, the, oftentimes the professor doesn't profess his or her, often him, mm -hmm. the mistakes that they've made or the, the, the flaws they had going into their process. They usually do it a little bit more like a textbook. Mm. And so my story is, is and, and mind you, my story is part memoir and part meant to entertain. Right. But the piece that is meant to teach is to bring a, an audience member, a reader along in my journey with all the in, inner voice questioning that I was doing and trying to figure out like, am I, am I a fraud in this new career? Am I going to be able to make it? And so the surprise number one is really sharing the vulnerability, the thought process that's going through my head. Surprise number two is actually, spoiler alert, I actually did successfully switch careers, but that's mm -hmm. only halfway through the book. So the other half of the book is defending the actual career switch and, and being and, and setting yourself up for success in that second career. Now we want people to buy the book and it's the vulner, vulner I can't say that word. Amazing. It's a pain in the ass where I thought about that after I published it. <laughs> the vulnerable career switcher, the vulner, I, I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try to get the official pronunciation of the word and that way maybe we can be set straight. That's one great thing of there's a there's a feature on LinkedIn now where you can add the correct pronunciation of your name, which is actually genius. But that is genius. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. by the way, I think you had a previous episode where you guys talked about linguistics, and I think uh, you guys went down the rabbit hole of irregardless. Yes. And so yes, please. I'm, I'm on your side on this one, but Good. yeah. Good. Plenty of that. Yeah, irregardless is not a word, people. Well, and then the cruelty of it all is it technically is a word now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to say vulnerable. Hey, come on. Vulnerable. Come on. There we go. Say it again. Vulnerable. Well done, announcer lady. Yeah. Easy for you to say. <laughs> vulnerable. Vulnerable. The vulnerable. Yeah. That actually helped. The vulnerable. Anyway. So go to Amazon and and buy the book. Now I do want to talk to you about the writing process a little bit because uh, I mean I was a writer for the better part of 20 years, but I right. wrote, I wrote columns. I wrote articles. As I, uh, as I hinted at earlier, I just, no, I didn't hint it. I screamed it into the microphone, actually. <laughs> I, ha I haven't been able to just find the discipline to sit down and write my book. Or uh, I could stand up and try to write the book. See, maybe the, there's a problem. Maybe tell, that's what it tell is. Me about, yes. <laughs> but tell <laughs> me about your process and why you actually allowed yourself to, now correct me if I'm wrong, to include these sort of little trips down whatever lane that take you to different subjects. Well, the, the, the goal of the book was, again, to, to educate a little bit, be a memoir, but also entertain, right? So the, mm. the, the side trips are, are the entertainment portion. I, I, I think I call each opening in each chapter the art of the ridiculous. Mm. And then I follow through with a, a ridiculous story. And usually it's, it's, it's aimed at me. And this, this goes to a little bit of the vulnerability too, right? I, I just did some really dumb things when I was 17 and 18 and Shocker. 22 and 30, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I, I talk about those stories. And, and most of the time, uh, a couple of, two of them were a bit of a stretch, but most of the time I bring it back to that chapter mm. and tie it into the I actual see. learning or lesson Shrewd. from that chapter. Yeah. And so that was the, that, you know, and that, by the way, actually made the writing process a lot more fun. I mean, I would, I, I in the pre COVID days, I commuted in and out of the city every day for work. And I kind of made it a goal on my train ride to, to write a page a day each day. And so was that in going out the city and you, you just take out your laptop and you do it. Yep. Did you, yep. Ever, did you ever have experiment with like dictating? Cause I've often wondered if that makes it easier for writers or not. 
No. I think for some people that's a skill and they can do it. For me, it didn't work. I thought yeah. about that, but I'm a, I'm more of a kind of an internal, an inter, what's the right word? I internalize things. Okay. And I do, yeah, I do also introspect. So you might find me on the train actually kind of giggling out loud occasionally <laughs> while I was writing my book and people looking at me like, I got other people had their uh, headphones on. A local man, a local man was brusquely escorted <laughs> off the train today. He was seen talking to himself <laughs> about songs from the eighties. Yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people enjoy that. It's the reason. One of the reasons why I love podcasting is life doesn't have to move linearly. You don't. Your Agreed. book. Your book doesn't have to be the ten rules for switching careers right. and then break down how to do it. Like it. If like a podcast, people are generally going to pick up a book because they need the information or they just right. want to enjoy a read and if you can do both why not so i really yes i really applaud you yeah. is, the, is there an audio version of this book and if not have you considered that i have considered it yep. i'm not i have not done that yet and mm -hmm. that is on the list i'm looking for the best voice possible it's probably not mine certain people in the podcast industry are also <laughs> available for hire for voiceover for example preface the first job maneuver if there were any light at all coming from the other end of the tunnel it was the headlight of an oncoming train about to run me over that was the first hey, line yeah, in you are hired book. thank you you are hired yes thank you i'm taking a, <laughs> i just applauded myself what is it what does life come to so before we go we've got a little time left here we're, i promise we're going to go through some elements of michael's hate tape and see if you agree with some of these songs that the songs you would choose to just annoy the pants off of your enemies don't forget the book is the hold on what is it again it, go it, ahead the, the, the book is the vulnerable career switcher and well it's done. available <laughs> available on amazon or wherever you buy your fine books and before we get to the hate tape, let me just take a moment to tell you what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Pod617.com is where you go if you want your own podcast. And listen, we do everything from start to finish. You just come with the idea for the show. We'll ship you out a microphone, a quality USB mic, not one of those crappy ones. You do the whole thing remotely. Listen, the studio's open, but most people are still doing things from their home. So now's a good time to do it. Pandemic continuing to stretch on. Get your own show. Be the next big podcast star. Go to pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. In pod, we trust. All right. Now, are you ready, Michael? So I'm gonna, I, I've prepared a sampling. So you set this up for us because I could, but you were talking about, if I'm not mistaken, again, you said your, your book is part memoir. You're talking about when you held a job at, I believe, a country club in North Andover. Did I get that right? Or? It was a uh, an apartment complex called Royal Crest Estates oh, in sorry. North Andover. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it was right off, off, I'll talk Boston, but right off 114 uh, near the Lawrence Showcase Cinemas. Oh, yeah. So you got a bang yeah. of Yui uh, right after the Rotary. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I had lots of time on my hands. I was landscaping. I was mowing lawns. I was okay. uh, raking leaves. So I thought about everything under the sun during my, my slow 8.30 to 4.30 shift. And I came up with the, the hate tape during that landscaping summer. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple of friends, a couple of St. John's guys with me working that summer. I was like, hey, guys, I'm going to make this hate tape and I'm going to make you guys listen to it on Friday night when we go out. Now, and, now uh, is the hate tape it, it purely designed for evil purposes? In other words, yes. you're, you're, so it's almost like a, a practical joke. Like you get someone in the car. Totally with, a practical oh, joke. it was. Yeah. So, to, yeah. so the people yeah. that are listening to the hate tape, Made to feel uncomfortable, made to maybe say to you, oh, this isn't such a bad song. Good choice, Michael. 
Or, or was Lewis it like... meant to kind of make people wonder what's going on. Like Lewis usually has some decent you know, music in, <laughs> right. his, uh, in his cassette player because cassette players was the thing in the car. At oh the time. yeah, yeah. But so I was a good mixtape maker. But this was the uh, this is my anti mixtape for yep. sure. For those that didn't grow up when or before Michael and I did, the mixtape was such a huge thing for music fans. Absolutely. And every Friday night, my family we used to go for pizza somewhere in the in the fine tri-town area of Canton, Sharon, and Stoughton. And then afterwards, my folks would take us to the Walpole Mall, and we'd walk into Strawberries, the, the, yes. the tape and CD, well, record store is what we used to call it. Sure. And we would buy a 45, and then so I could gather 145 per week, and after eight weeks or so, you got enough for a, not a bad tape. But, it was, right. it, but there was a process to it. Like, I always... I noticed that if you didn't buy the high quality tapes, it sounded like crap. You had to buy like a half decent kind oh, of. Oh yeah, you got you go to the Memrex or right. you know some of those uh, Maxells at the time. Right. The Ma- Very good. Oh man, yep. wow, that brings back <laughs> memories. Yeah, and then you got to queue up the song just so and hit record at just the right time. And that's right. Yeah, and then people probably know this. It was also a decent way to to try to woo some uh, woo a potential romantic partner, give them a no tape. No question about right? it. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes that was all we had. All right, here's the hate tape. I'm going to play an excerpt of 10 songs, and we will evaluate and tell you why they're worth hating. Here's the first one. Pretty easy. (laughs) Yes. Whams, wake me up before you go. Yes, there you go. Whams, so... It was such an odd song at the time. This was so not... I think it was 1984, and... uh, It yep. just what you know. We were getting used to like the Human League and more uh, synthesizing. Right. This comes out. Yeah. And it, uh, I, when yeah. I first saw the music video for this, so this was Wham, which George Michael. I was about to say before he died. I guess that's obvious. But before he went solo, he's with this guy Andrew Ridgely, who was completely useless apparently. But this video, a bunch of people, like a dozen people, all wearing all white, including T-shirts that say "Choose Life." gigantic t-shirts yeah they didn't fit you're right and i thought it was like an ad for i guess yeah i could have thought it was like an anti-abortion ad choose life but 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 sadly i thought the same you thought that yeah Yeah. and and yet no it's just a goofy band from britain anyway so i think this does belong on the hate tape i I think let us never do i I'm a yep. fan of George Michael. This just wasn't, this didn't make my list of likable songs. Right. Yeah. yeah. If, um, yeah, if you ever want a good, good YouTube rabbit hole, watch some of George Michael's acoustic stuff, particularly the Freedom 90 song. He does yes. it, he does it with like with a gospel choir and just an acoustic guitar. So freaking good. I miss him, sure. but maybe not that song. All right. Yes. This one, this, this next one is definitely round. Mount Rushmore of uh, hate tape entries. Here we go. So it is, of course, Wang Chung. And <laughs> go ahead, tell us about this song, Michael. Oh, this is this is the classic commercialization of Wang Chung's library, right? This yep. is their last ditch effort to try to stay relevant in 1986. Right. Yeah. Right as we were, you were walking into UPenn, I was walking into Lehigh's when the song came out. Ooh, we're I both, both in Pennsylvania. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm in a chemistry lab, and like one of my hallmates was in my class with me, and all of a sudden I start hearing him say, 
everybody Wang Chung. <laughs> I'm like, what do you do? Who are you talking about? Because I had stopped listening to most, a lot of pop music by, you know, college. I started getting into other music, thankfully. Yep. But that, that just was like, Wang Chung, uh, Dance All Day is a great song. That but, is a good uh, song. They have some other good off, not pop, not pop chart stuff that uh, was high quality. But this just felt like a, a mail it in, get another, make another couple million. Well, and, and the interesting thing was looking back on it, like this is this is my 1987 brain doing the hey tape. But right. now, of course, I've listened to the song since, and it does feel to me like they were self parodying. Well, and, the title is kind of self parody, right? I mean, so yes. the, the name of the song is Everybody Have Fun Tonight and by the band Wang Chung, but the lyrics is Everybody Have Fun Tonight, Everybody Wang Chung Tonight. And. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. It's just like, it, that's the name of our band. Let's let's shoehorn it in there. It, it kind of rhymes. And, uh, and then a Cheers reference, if I may interrupt, blows in one night for a bachelor party. I would, like, Michael, just like the song, everybody Wang Chung tonight. Like that was his rage to get ready for bachelor party night. All right, you have to stop stealing my thoughts, Michael, because I <laughs> swear to God, on my kid's life, I was going to bring that up because Love it. because you it was second cheers reference of the podcast. If I if memory serves, Fraser, who of course was the nerdy, very erudite professor who would walk into the bar and be completely out of place, and he said. I was listening to a song today in the radio, one of those young person songs, and it, it inspired me. And the lyrics were as follows. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody, yeah, you, so, so you get it. But wow. Okay. So Brilliant. Milt, my other podcast partner, is going to be jealous that you anticipated my thoughts, Michael. But yeah, screw him. All right. Next. Uh, That's right. Send ne- Milt, Milt back to the other podcast. <laughs> next, uh, next hate tape song. Here we go. Right. So. There was a time when the a kind of gypsy-looking, cross-dressing dude named Boy George was like the biggest thing in rock and roll, which is, yes. which in hindsight, was kind of a nice step forward, I guess. For Innovative. The, yeah, yeah. I mean, and for the gay yeah. and trans community, he's now he's just a gay guy. He doesn't. I don't think he dresses yeah. like a woman anymore. But before his time, he and was. He kind of was. Well done by him. Yeah. Yeah. But this yeah. song, yeah, this song is called I'll Tumble For You. And if you're going to spell out the name of the song, you have to use the numeral four. Oh, good Lord. That's right. So, yeah, I hate that. Too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, it's, I think I got that album for Christmas, probably 83 or like, yeah, December 80. I guess it was 82 because then it came, they got, they got really big in 83. Yep. And that's the album's actually pretty good. I, I actually like Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? I'm That's okay with Karma Chameleon. I think that might have made the gotcha. hate tape because it's because it's Boy George. But when I heard "I'll Tumble for You," while I was list- cycling through the cassette. I was like, "What on earth is this? Get yeah. this out of here!" I just I, I had to shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> Would you shut off this one? Let's listen to the next entry. Yep. Oh yeah. You guys had something to say about this on your your past tense podcast? Absolutely. This this came up in one of our time machine visits on our podcast, and so we. This was, actually, I'll, I'll find the sound effect in a moment, but yeah, this Please was just, this was just weird. Effect. So this, yeah. so this song is not from the forties. It really is from the eighties, Manhattan transfer boy from New York city. It, for some reason they thought good idea to do this. That's and it, yeah, as we would say on uh, past tens, what the fuck were we thinking? Yes. That's a shout out to what we do on <laughs> Thank our Thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I didn't want to disappoint you. I need you. to be on more podcasts with that, with that, uh, <laughs> right. out there. Yep. Yeah. That one's just weird. We, I want to get to all 10. So let's move on. Here we go. Listen to this one. 
Man, this was a huge hit. I want to say the summer of 84, 85. Absolutely free. Yep. But, uh, but, oh, it was 83. Um, I actually okay, like yep. this song. Okay. This one I actually like now. But so this is overplayed. The problem yeah. with this one is just wildly overplayed. Agreed. And I think at the time we called it the hippo song because those those roars sound like they're hippos like coming up for breath. Let's listen to that again. What what are those? Now in, in the video he's actually revving the the what you call I don't know what you call I guess it's the accelerator on a motorcycle. I'm not a motorcycle right. guy, the but it doesn't sound anything like a motorcycle really if you're just listening so that's eddie grant with electric avenue and you're right that song was everywhere it was parodied it was way too much yeah yep and uh, pretty much a one-hit wonder although he had a couple others but yeah Yeah, he was romancing the stones theme song for that was the one i was gonna say but i remember he that song actually wasn't that bad and then there was some weird thing that he got pissed off that it wasn't actually played in the movie that much or something i don't know it really wasn't yeah yeah, it wasn't you don't even think of the song when you think of that movie which is a good movie yeah here's another one yep this is another one of the weirdest songs ever to hit the top yeah for those that are younger weird stuff (laughs) happened in the 80s people this is from 82 that's that's bad enough right there like what's taco have to do with with the dutch people yeah i have no idea but it was it was a fun song. Like I would listen to it when I was on the radio at the time. Putting on the Ritz by Taco, very friggin' strange. And it was a remake. So I was I think it was Irving Berlin okay. who originally wrote it. So that was probably what that thirties, forties. Right, and but, it sounds uh, like it. And yeah, so yeah. they aided it up, but right. it wasn't quite still. It just didn't fit in with like the other. Nineteen eighty three is probably one of my favorite music summers. Yeah, and this just this blew up the, yeah. the top 10 or top 20, wherever it hit. Yeah. I was just like, get this out of there and then the rest is good to go. Do you find it ironic that Taco actually works at a Chipotle now? Because that's, <laughs> some might say that was preordained. Here's the next one I on the so. list. <laughs> now, we, we might have a small fight on this one. This one, you have to watch the video. I'm if watching you watch it. You're not watching it yet. Yeah, Huey is like nostrils into the camera. Yeah. with this video. Don't don't that get it. That was my problem with this one. <laughs> okay, well, <Yeah. laughs> I'm with you on the video. It's it's odd. It's almost like the, and again, I keep saying for the younger people, music videos used to be a huge deal. Now I feel like it's it only yeah. the only time I'll see a music video of someone like posted on Facebook and said, "Oh, you got to see this video. It's really cool." Right. But you right. had to have a video for all of your hit songs. Like it seems like they spent more time on the videos than the actual songs. And not this one though. No, this no. Background they, and just the band. They ran out of ideas clearly, or they had to shoot it in one day and get it over with. It's pretty much just Huey shoving his face. The song is uh, Huey Lewis "Hip to Be Square," which I kind of like the song. But he's shoving his face. I'm into okay the, with the song too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It, good video by them. Same album is doing it all for my my baby. Yep. And the president of my fraternity, Lehigh, was named Mike Davy, so we we sang "Do It All for Mike Davy." <laughs> Milt, Milt, but it was a good video. That was a good video. I gotta stop talking about Milt, or else he's gonna develop an ego. But he he's loved the, he loved that this. he loved that song. He was a big "Doing It All for My Baby" guy. I, yes. I I'd rather have this song. I don't know. All right, so maybe I was square, a nerd. This is a good song. <laughs> 
guys talked about this on one episode. We did, and you liked yeah. it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, I have so, one of my landscaping friends, Rich, yep. and I would just would do the the squeaky don't mean nothing. <laughs> like, we just go back and forth, and I think we were we'd be getting all stressed out about like the uh, the bushes that we were about the rhododendrons we were about to have to carve up. <laughs> we were getting like stressed, like that's too much, no, that's too little. And then we just go don't mean nothing, you know. Just like, <laughs> yeah, that's no way of saying. Oh, creative. Right, we've done. Yeah. We're just landscapers here. Yeah, so it's Richard Marks who had the most magnificent mullet in rock and roll. And uh, yeah, no question. I, it might not have even been a mullet. It's just a lot of hair, whatever it is. Yeah. And yeah. and he had a couple hits. I was just reminded of the song Satisfied, which I actually kind of liked. It's kind of rocking. And then I he, did too. Then he's got an awful ballad. But this song was supposed to tell a tale of someone on the way to Hollywood, and it wasn't working out. And I'll play you a little bit of the second verse here because it, tells the tale of this poor actress who is just trying to make it in Hollywood. Right. And and this is what happens. Nope. Sorry. Yeah. And, I, and if it, I could, if I may tie it back to the book, I get plenty of that trying to switch careers. What, well, hey, it all comes full yeah. circle. So don't. Yeah. So the message being, don't be discouraged if you walk in and you got it. You got to persist. Right. You got to persist. Right. Yep. Unless, I got the. You're an accountant, Michael. You're not a internet marketer. We really love That's your work, Michael. But we're just yeah. not what you're looking for. None exactly. of this. None of this applies if you're actually Richard Marks. In which case, of course. Yeah, your your career choices are they've all been bad. No, I love Richard Marks actually, and I also love this song. Another entry in the hate tape. Um, yeah, there's a good seven yeah. seconds where you don't know if it's Hey Mickey or Footloose. Yes. And then finally, yeah. Kenny with the guitar kicks in. It, it, we're still waiting, Kenny. Any minute now. Come on. No rush. All right, here we go. For, for this one, this was so more like of a... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Because, because I, I was a bit of a... I, I went to an all-boys school in high school. Right. Didn't know a lot of girls. Mm. This song, riding around with this song with my male friends made us all feel very awkward if you think about it that way <laughs> right it's i mean so footloose of course kenny log is of course from the movie of the same name where for some reason there was a town in the 80s that didn't allow dancing because it was against no the law and That's michael right. and michael kevin bacon just kept uh dancing enough until finally it was made legal I ju i'm just noticing and realizing i'm not so sure i ever watched this movie all the way through it was one of these movies that you kind of just knew about yeah, but I never it was bothered. Okay. I and watched I, it, and I think the co-star was one of the Penn brothers. I think that's Christopher uh, Penn. Chris yep. Penn, yeah. So yeah. who who is no yep. longer with us? I know. But had, Chris Penn. Yeah, yep. yeah. Well, he was he was good in True Romance. All right, we're up to the yes. tenth of these just that I have selected, and this is probably the only one I would fight you in that my love for this song would overcome any uh, placement on a hate tape. But anyway, here it is. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> this song, if you listen to the lyrics, there is absolutely no rational thinking you, you with the lyrics. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. I love <clears throat> Simon Le Bon from Duran Duran. And, I, and, yeah. and not as much as the ladies loved him, of course. He was, he was right. the ultimate 80s rock heartthrob. All of them were just... Um, 
so delicious, so delicious looking. And they were one of the first, they're one of the first rock bands, I think, to wear makeup. Like Nick Rhodes looked like it took him 12 hours to put on his, his makeup, the keyboard is there. But, but they were fun. They were rock. But as one, I remember reading an article once that said their lyrics are like seventh grade poetry class stuff. And, and so true. (laughs) None of them make any sense. I mean, one of the names of their albums was Seven and the Ragged Tiger. It's like, what? Right. Yes. (laughs) They just make stuff up. Yeah, exactly. The early stuff, like Hungry Like the Wolf, Rio, fantastic stuff. Uh, Is there something I should know? Loved it. Girls on film. Just couldn't go with the reflex for me. All right. Well, to to each his own. Some like reflex, some like the wolf, some like Rio. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I remember the summer of 1984, that being my favorite song. And there's a moment in the video where the, inexplicably the band is playing a concert and there's a, a gush of water that comes poorly yes. poorly cgi'd into the video that comes very from the top of the stadium and the band looks up and gets water in their face and at that whenever we heard the song that summer me and my buddy lance at that point in the song would look up to the sky and pretend water was coming <laughs> on our face. Yes, we were losers. Yes. And we were, I was, was right there with you. Dave. Yeah. That was just our yeah. version of, of driving around to the next landscaping gig like you were anyway. So thank you for that trip down earworm lane, Michael. My pleasure. Michael. So this, and so if you, if you dig that sort of dynamic and you've often wondered about career switching, or if you just want a good read the, the vulnerable, I got it right. Well, well done, Dave. I, I don't want to well, jinx it now. The, um, the see now I'm. Don't I'm say it again. That, okay, the vulnerable. I have to. The vulnerable career switcher. It is available on Amazon anywhere you find your books by Michael Patrick Lewis, who joined me today. I hope you had fun, man. This I did. That was it was some awesome stuff. I had a blast, Dave. All right, always. Yeah, love listening to you and love being part of your show. Well, we'll have you back sometime. You might have to write another book. Or you know I'll what? No, which, yeah. <laughs> or maybe we'll just go down the rest of the list of the the hate tape songs because that's fun as well. So That'll be your next chapter sounds good to me. You got it. Thank you, Michael, for joining us, and thank you everybody for listening to the Boston Podcast. If you like us, subscribe to us on Apple Podcast. If you want your own podcast, go to pod six one seven dot com. On behalf of Michael Patrick Lewis, my new best friend, the author, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston, but if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. No offense to you, Michael, but... Oh, you're from Boston. Okay. (laughs) Have I asked you...